Hello, podcasters. I'm Jonathan Brody. My partner, Jordan Winter. Jordan Winter. Hello, everybody. Good to see you again. And uh, got to speak closer, Jordan. We can't be no more. No more time for amateur hour here. Thank you, Coach. We're getting big. Um, so this is our second podcast. Um, we we hope uh, you enjoyed the first one as far as an introduction is concerned. It is the the date today is now um, I believe April twenty eighth. Um, it's actually the second day of the virtual meeting of the American Association of Cancer Research. Um, usually Jordan and myself, I and mean, this is the first time Jordan about I don't know over twenty five years um, that I haven't been to an AACR meeting, and. Um, I was on yesterday. It was, it was pretty fascinating. I think they had 47,000 registered uh, people going online at once. I think um, a lot of pe- some people were complaining about not being able to get on. It might have been their Wi-Fi, but I think all in all, the ACR did a pretty good, good job. I personally, and I apologize, and people can certainly uh, comment, and by the next episode, we'll figure it out. Um, I didn't see anything dramatic um, that was being presented um, as far as within the field of pancreatic cancer. I think there were some nice clinical trials. Um, and, and the reason I'm bringing this up early is I think when we, we, when we do our podcast, I think we wanna start doing on a weekly basis what, you know, whether it's through Google or PubMed or word of mouth, Jordan and I wanna start at least bringing up what we think is the, the, the news of the week, if you will, in pancreatic cancer. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, there wasn't anything um, tremendously uh, exciting. I think in this day of COVID, um, Jordan, do you want to maybe update everyone, you know, how, you're, how your institution and how you sort of view um, treating pancreatic cancer um, in this day and age? Well, pancreatic cancer is still occurring at the same pace during COVID as outside of COVID. So it's still a problem. I think that uh, the, the, the biggest concern I have, John, is that um, is I think that the pace of presentation of, uh, of, of pancreatic cancer is maybe, maybe slowing. Um, that is, um, patients ultimately getting to their specialist um, in, a, in a slower time frame. There's just more friction in the system now as patients are more hesitant to see their primary care physician, uh, less access perhaps to an endoscopist and, uh, and the whole system has just slowed and become more clunky. Um, so, so I think that's an issue. I'm concerned about that. I don't have any data to support that yet, but it's just what I've seen in terms of the, the, the referral pipeline. Um, in, when patients do present, we're treating it basically the same way. A pancreatic cancer is, um, is in some ways an emergency, if not an emergency, urgent. And whether a patient's getting surgery or, or pancreatic cancer, we just want to provide them with that level of care as safely as, as we possibly can. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, actually, we were just talking before the, the show how I have this call at 1030, and it's actually about a trial that you initiated that maybe you can just give a you know quick elevator pitch on. And, and it's interesting in this day and age, so it's the WASH trial. And really our institution, I think other institutions have done differently. They've, they've only 
um, really prioritize clinical trials that are COVID related at this time. And, um, you know, since your trial, your idea is basically, I think, I, I could be wrong, but I think it's the number one accruing trial for oncology patients at, at Thomas Jefferson, um, your previous institution. Um, you know, they, they've decided that they've wanted to prioritize your trial and, and, the, and sort of test run. And, and, and of course, I think that it's also a, a nice, safe trial to run because basically at the end of it, they're getting standard of care. Um, but I just, I, I find it sort of fascinating that, you know, um, even that trial, there's a number of patients that the practice here um, have, have performed surgery on and they've missed the boat on being, um, you know, what I think is, is an important trial you initiated. Do you just, do you just want to quickly, uh, just quickly describe it? Well, the WASH trial um, is, a, is a trial where we're testing high volume lavage during during surgery as a um, strategy to um, ask the question, are cancer cells uh, getting disseminated at the time of surgery? Um, patients often ask that question. Actually, the patient's questions to me over the years were the impetus for, the impetus for me um, designing that trial. Uh, so uh, not only are we going to answer the question, are, are cancer cells disseminating, di getting disseminated at surgery, but we're actually testing an intervention. And the intervention is just high volume lavage, which means rinsing the abdomen at the time of surgery with, uh, with a lot of fluid, 10 liters of saline or 10 liters of water. And comparing that to not doing that, um, it's very safe. There are no problems associated with the rinsing. And, um, and the hope is that you can dilute any cancer cells that were disseminated by a factor of 10 to the 10th, uh, which is 10 billion. And we're looking at survival as an endpoint. So I don't know why they stopped the trial. I mean, I do know why, but, but uh, really there, there shouldn't have been a disruption in bandwidth to do a trial like it's, that. Well, I think it's all consent and, you know, they're trying to do virtual consenting through telehealth. And I think it puts a lot on the surgeon to actually do the, you know, it's, it's just disruptive to the, to the system. But I mean, I think you bring up two points and I guess we'll find out potentially at the end, I mean, be interesting studies of how much, you know, how much are pancreatic cancer patients not being diagnosed early enough and how much does it affect outcomes during this period? I think it's uh, an important point because, I mean, I think people are very, you know, I'll, I'll just relay a story actually from a colleague at Fox Chase um, who, um, you know, mentioned that he had sort of seen this woman who had uh, metastatic pancreatic cancer who was like a five-year survivor. And he was saying how amazing she was doing. And yet, you know, at the end of their visit, when he basically said, you know, you're doing great, we're going to keep going. She said, you know, I'm, she, she was 80 years old. She was like, you know, I'm just, I'm really worried about, really worried about COVID. And his thought process was like, you know, she, here she did face this beast that is, you know, um, you know, obviously the percentage of, of people, it's terrible. Um, you know, it's the amount of people who die from COVID, but the percentage of people who die from pancreatic cancer who are diagnosed with pancreatic cancer versus percentage of people who die from COVID who, who you know, are positive for COVID, you can't compare it. Yeah. Well, even in the, the elderly population where the, where the 
the risk of mortality is highest amongst COVID, your, your mortality risk is 5%, 10%, maybe. Yeah. Um, whereas your risk for mortality from pancreas cancer is 95% or 98%. Um, so it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a much more significant problem to those afflicted with pancreas cancer. Um, uh, the pancreas cancer is, is weighs much heavier in terms of, uh, in terms of, um, urgency and the, um, amount of energy we need to spend on, uh, on optimizing therapy and, and all the processes associated. So it's interesting, you know, I, I heard a stat that I think we're now past the, the amount of people who, I could be wrong with this, but I, I think the amount of people who died in the Vietnam War, um, COVID in the, in the United States. And I guess if you think about that number, about 50,000, we're about, we're about passing the amount of people who will die this year from pancreatic cancer um, from COVID. So we're certainly not belittling the fact that COVID's a real, a real issue. But if you think about that, where initially were people thinking like, oh, we can do, keep this under 60,000 people. You know, that's basically roughly the amount of folks uh, who, who, you know, people who die, um, you know, for, you know, virtually not doing anything wrong, just like people getting infected with COVID. And like you mentioned, I think it hits the same sort of elderly population, right? Most patients are, you know, in their sixth or seventh decade of life. Um, And look at the media, (laughs) look at the media blitz. I mean, obviously this is a pandemic and we don't want to, um, but I just, I just think that the, the media attention for pancreatic cancers is, uh, is pretty small. So anyway, with, with that said, um, you know, w- w- one of the things that we're really excited about and we're gearing up to do is, is to invite um, other thought leaders, people affected by this disease, patients, um, family members, people who've lost loved ones, to the students who are, are um, you know, engaged in this process. We're, we want to have a long list of people that we want to interview. And I thought we'd sort of get out of the way some of our um, strong opinions, which is really why we've done this podcast to begin with, because I think me and you both have some shared strong opinions. We also have some things that we disagree with, and we're also coming from different you know, different ways. So I sort of was thinking that in this, this remainder of the episode, um, Jordan, we could sort of ask each other some of the questions that we would ask, you know, some of the real thought leaders um, or people that we really respect um, what's going on. So I'll, 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 I'll start with a real, you know, uh, doozy. So, so why, you know, you know, I guess one that you could sort of do whatever you want with, but I have people who sort of ask me this who are in the field, you know, they're, they're like, you know, I hear about these grants and these papers and all these things that you're doing and, you know, you're somewhat successful. Um, and, you know, it's is actually like, you know, one of my obnoxious cousins asked me this. So if he's listening, I apologize. He's like, you know, but how come there's like, you know, people are still dying. How come there's no success in pancreatic cancer? Like, what are you doing? Like, why, why, you know, why is this, uh, why is this so, you know, like, why do people say that it really, you know, outcomes haven't changed in 40 years if, 
you know, people like you and uh, other smart people are working on this. It, yeah, your, your, your cousin asks a pretty poignant question, actually. <laughs> so uh, compliments to him. I think it's a, um, it, it, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's challenging to, to answer that question and, and frustrating too. Um, you know, look at, look at the things that this world, that, that our civilization has accomplished. Um, you know, just sending people into space, uh, flying, internet, instantaneous communication, the advances are, are, are truly amazing. And, and some of the diseases that we've been able to treat. Um, but we haven't been able to budge the, the, the pancreatic cancer needle by really a substantial um, order of magnitude. And we talked about that on our last podcast. Why is that? Well, there's a couple of things that I think contribute. One is, compare, say, um, pancreas cancer to a disease like HIV. HIV um, emerged in the early 80s and, um, and really uh, decimated its, its victims in a, in a very rapid way. And within about a decade, there were good therapies for HIV. And... Um, and now it's a chronic, it's expected, for, in, at least in this country, to be a chronic disease that you can survive decades and decades and decades with. How did that happen? And why can't we do the same thing for pancreas cancer? Well, pancreas cancer is just a more difficult disease to treat. It's more complex. HIV, the virus, has nine genes, and it makes nine proteins, I may have that off by one or two, but all of those proteins are different than every single gene in the human genome. So if you're going to design a drug against HIV, you can do so and target those viral proteins in a way where we have what's called a therapeutic window. You target the virus without really hitting normal cells. And of course, there's some side effects to HIV drugs, but that is a much simpler problem. You have nine genes to go after. Let's target them. And none of them exist in the human genome. Pancreas cancer has 20,000 genes and all 20,000 overlap with every other cell in the human genome. So the therapeutic window is extraordinarily small. So the challenge, the problem is much, much more difficult. Number two is um, I think that we, we, we suffer from, from a herd mentality, John, and, and you wrote about this. It was, it's one of the, 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 the most interesting editorials that I've ever read. You wrote, you wrote it with Scott Kern um, 15 years ago, and it, it, we have a problem um, and there's many reasons for this, and you can share some of the things that you guys attributed this to, but there's, there's too much friction uh, in, in, our, um, in our scientific process to coming up with innovative, unique ideas. Maybe it's a fear of failure. 
Um, maybe it's a lack of creativity. But our pancreatic cancer field, you know, you and I are, are, are two of these, are, 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 are filled with cancer biologists who've learned from other cancer biologists that think the same way. I think, you know, there are examples, shiny examples of people that come from totally different backgrounds. But I think we need new ideas into the field. We're training people to think the same way that we're thinking. But we need a, economists approaching this problem, psychologists, microbiologists, mathematicians, physicists, computer scientists. Um, but when you go to our pancreas cancer meetings at AACR, uh, it's, it's, you know, 500 clones, all of whom are smart, some offering innovative ideas. But, uh, but I think that we're hampering our ability to truly be creative. And I think that the solution is going to require very out-of-the-box ideas. Yeah. Well, that, that outstanding answer. I, I liked your analogy with HIV. So I, I Why is pancreas cancer the monster cancer, what is it about this cancer, in your opinion, um, at a molecular level or cellular level, uh, gives it its aggressive phenotype? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it that is the uh, that is that is the big question, um, and you know, I think that the the, the low hanging fruit that a lot of people talk about is is the the microenvironment that it lives, which I think is important, but I think it goes deeper. And I think it's, it goes down to the basis of a lot of what our labs are studying um, because it's not just, you know, how still, how do those cells survive in that microenvironment? Um, I, I, you know, to me, it comes down to these sort of, and I don't think we really understand why, both from the genetics um, to the development of the disease to even sort of, um, you know, any sort of etiology or pop sci aspects from smoking to obesity and other things. I think that there's something unusual about this, the cell of origin um, that allows it to hijack this machinery. And I'm not just, I'm not just promoting our work and other people's work. But I think there's something um, about these, this type of cancer in general that is, is extremely adaptive. And so, you know, even throwing the kitchen sink at it, um, its ability to survive is, is, is incredible. I think even the, the, the concept that it, it, it's interesting because I think it's sort of this um, stealth adaptive grower that, you know, of course, early detection is important, but Jordan, you know better than me that you could sort of get a clean resection of a pancreatic tumor and then nothing to do with the, you know, you could do your best operation. And, you know, you've told me that these patients could die in six months where you thought that you've gotten every single cancer cell. And well, so I, I had a, I had a mentor, um, Peter Allen, a great pancreas surgeon. Who, we should have uh, him on, by the way, too. We, yeah, definitely. He, 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 he made a statement to me when I was training with him as a fellow, and he said, Jordan, you can take a two-centimeter lymph node negative colon cancer, lung cancer, breast cancer, take it out, and that patient has an 80% or more chance of being cured. 
you do the same thing, two centimeter pancreas cancer, lymph node negative, take it out. And, um, and that, that patient has a 25% chance of being cured. There's a biologic difference. It's yes, it's that we're not detecting it early enough, but we can detect it as early in many cases as some of these other common cancers and the result is much worse. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to get too into the weeds on it, but I think that that is literally its ability to adapt and its ability to adapt to metastasize and grow, you know, um, it's, it seems like it's, it's really one of a kind. And I think understanding those characteristics are, um, incredibly important. And for, and for some reason, what the field has mostly been focused on, although it's expanded a lot, is the genetics is really important of how it's evolved to the point of, you know, becoming malignant, but I'm not sure if it really explains the ability to be um, so refractory and so resistant and so resilient, if you will, um, you know, to grow um, in, in a lot of different settings. So I, you know, you know it's, it's, um, you just wonder, I, I remember having a conversation with another scientist who asked me the question, you know, wh why, why does it adapt so well? Um, it, it, does it have to do with the, the, the evolution or the, the, the carcinogenesis process in pancreas cancer as being different than say in colon cancer or lung cancer? Is it exposed to different conditions during its precancer phases that create this adaptive biology and should we be studying more the 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 conditions that that pancreas that that panin lesions are exposed to and what's happening at the panin stage it's hard to study panin you can do it in mouse models um but, but should we be focusing more on that? Because by the time it's an early invasive cancer, it already has acquired those adaptive attributes. Yeah, certainly. I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, and by PADN, just to, to, just to clarify, by PADN, that, that's an acronym for pancreatic intraepithelial neoplasia. It is, uh, it, 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 there are three stages of pattern and they're all pre-cancer and the thought is is that pancreas cancer progresses through these pre-cancer stages before it becomes an invasive lethal cancer yeah so i completely agree with you we're almost um coming up at a time but um i think all those stages from the development to even when it's a primary tumor or you know when it, the ability to metastasize i think you know studying all those um selective pressures and at what point does it need to turn on and turn things off? You know, I, I'm, I'm personally, I, I think that's what to me, I'll summarize. I think that's what makes it so difficult is because there's not one genetic event that we can say, this is why the cancer is so resilient. I think it's biology and I think it's hard to nail that biology down. And I think that biology is very much like, um, a fade switch on a light that goes up and down. And for some reason, um, you know, I think pancreatic cancer cells and the tumor is able to 
amplify and turn down that when they when it doesn't need it and um you know well this this gets to what something that our 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 good friend and co-mentor scott waldman once said is he said we, we we're jumping it we're jumping ahead too fast to try and find therapies and develop therapies for pancreas cancer we don't we don't understand the biology well enough should we be focused more on really understanding what what is going on there and 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 leave the therapeutic questions for another day even though we can't come up with better therapies fast enough um are we just are, are, are we engaged in a in an old what ultimately will be a slower um uh evolution uh of our uh experimental therapeutic research um, because we are trying to get the cart before the horse. Perfect way to, to end that session, Jordan. I, I think that, um, by the way, I think Waldman will be another great guest to have on the show. Um, I think that will be highly entertaining and he has some really strong thoughts about this. Um, so. I'm Jonathan Brody. I'm this 75-year-old looking guy who's bald with glasses. I'm Jordan Winter, and let's leave it at that. <laughs> Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.